Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london, london is blue podcast, podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by my co-host, Dan, no Nick. Uh, he's getting his back adjusted before the Champions League final, probably because it's going to be a long flight, Dan, across the pond. But in preparation, we're here with our one of our favorite guests, Matt Law. And Dan, oh, Dan, what in the world do we have to talk about with Matt today? Nothing. It's a boring time of the year. <laughs> the Premier League season is over. You know, there's a little football left. I, I don't know, Matt. Do you think we got a couple of things to talk about? Hey, we can talk about our holiday plans if you want. That's good for me. Something to look forward to. <laughs> oh, well, you deserve a holiday after the long Chelsea season. Hey, know, I'm not getting a holiday back. for a long time, guys. The end of the Euros is my holiday, so I've got another six weeks to go. Bloody, Chelsea, bloody <laughs> Chelsea getting in all these finals just keeps my season going and going and going. <laughs> if only I covered Tottenham, eh? Oh, <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Well, I tell you what, let's just obviously get this out of the way. Matt is a well-known Aston, or well-known as an Aston Villa fan. I don't want to say you're a famous fan. Uh, I'm not by a famous means. fan. <laughs> Um, but how did you feel about that final day of the Premier League season with your Villa beating our Chelsea in front of fans? Yeah. And then obviously Chelsea fell into top four with Leicester crashing out. We were laughing before the call. Was it Tottenham helping or was it Leicester failing? I mean, dealer's choice really at this point. We, uh, we know how it settled. It was the most Spursy thing ever, wasn't it? Let's face it. <laughs> Tottenham, Tottenham helping Chelsea to get into the Champions League. Look at... Uh, Look, from a personal perspective, it worked out great for me. Look, I, I I went to the game, although I am a massive Villa fan and I was delighted to be in for the first game with fans there. I was there as a journalist and, and professionally. And for my work and given that I cover Chelsea so closely, it, it's better for me that Chelsea are in the Champions League than not in the Champions League, given Villa's season had nothing riding on it. Look, I never want Villa to lose, but I did go to Villa Park really wanting Chelsea to get into the Champions League as well because I want to cover Champions League football next season. So for Villa to win and Chelsea to still get into the Champions League was probably my perfect scenario. But look, professionally, professionally, it's, it's a no-brainer. I don't want to be having to go to 
Stamford Bridge on Thursday nights and, and flying to Lithuania for Europa League football if I if I can help it. So I was as pleased as any Chelsea fan that, that Chelsea got in there in the end, even though they lost to Villa, which was also quite enjoyable for me. So, Matt, how did you enjoy having fans back in the crowd? We've talked to some of the Chelsea supporters who've had a chance to be back at Sanford Bridge with fans back in the stands. How was that for you? Yeah, look, look, I, look it, it, it's just interesting the dynamic it brings because um, it's, it was clear to me in both of those, the Leicester game for Chelsea and the Villa game for Villa, shall we say, that the home fans made a big difference. Chelsea in that Leicester game at home, they, they played unbelievably well. I mean, it's incredible that they could have drawn the, the game because of Perez missed a sitter near the end, but they, they played the first half or first hour of that game. They're unbelievable Chelsea. One of the best performances I've probably seen from them this season. And I, I thought that had a massive amount to do with the energy they were taking from the, the fans. I mean, I've done an interview with a player today um, ahead of the Champions League final. He was talking about the extra power it gave him having the fans there. Um, and you could feel it and you could see it. So it makes a massive difference. And with Villa, look, Chelsea for the first half an hour played Villa off the park. Villa had that period where they either side of half time scored their goals and got themselves into two goals. Lead. And I really do feel the crowd probably just about got Villa over the line in the end as well. Albeit a little bit of VAR helped and the referee helped. I, I will admit that, but I think as well, the crowd got them over the line. I think if there was no crowd at that game, it would have probably ended up a draw. And I don't know what kind of performance Chelsea would have put in against Leicester with no crowd as well. It made a massive difference. So you can already tell, I haven't done the stats on it, but obviously this season, I think I heard before the final games of the season that something like only 42% win rate at home for teams across the Premier League at home this season. And I wouldn't mind betting that that was heavily skewed the other way in those games where teams got some some crowd back at home. And I think it's had a massive effect on the, on the whole season. Yeah, I had seen that, that uh, essentially more... More, more away uh, wins. Exactly. It, and it was very weird, you know, compared to the normal, because, you know, home field advantage, we would yeah. say make Stanford Bridge a Fortis, yada, yada. But uh, I, I, I totally get it. Uh, Dan, I'm, did you lose rock, paper, scissors before? Do you want to talk to him about Grealish or should I? Because I, my <laughs> gosh, Matt, he just wound us up as Chelsea fans. We we now hate Jack Grealish. That's fine by me. Carry on hating him. <laughs> if he was your player, you would love him. Uh, but yet we see Now here. you feel, this, this is a serious point. And be, let's be, before I start this point, let's be clear. I love Eden Hazard. I was the most privileged man in the world to go and watch Eden Hazard last all those years I watched him. And I knew how privileged I was. I, I felt so privileged watching Eden Hazard. But opposition supporters hated Eden Hazard. Why? Because Eden Hazard got fouled a lot and spent a lot of time on the ground. Exactly the same with Jack Grealish. Exactly the same with Jack. It's no different whatsoever. And the moment opposition supporters stop hating him is the moment something's gone badly wrong, to be quite honest with you. I think the, the maybe the biggest concern was the the soft and now rescinded red card versus Azpilicueta, probably the only one that maybe Shit, was the most egregious. That's more of a referee problem, I think, than a Jack no, Grealish problem. But let me jump in there, lads. Let me jump in there, lads. I will agree that Jack made the most of that, but I don't know if you remember in the first half when Jorginho went down like he'd been absolutely shot. I, <laughs> I heard the very Jorginho? high... Jorginho? 
<laughs> I heard a very high-pitched squeal from right up in the stands. And yet within 30 seconds, once the referee hadn't given a foul, he was up like a spring chicken running around. So I think, I think all our players can be a little bit guilty of that. So quickly moving on as Matt's debunking our biases as fans. Um, serious question, though, is do you think Thomas Tuchel is having motivation challenges with this squad? And I use motivation because we've heard motivation since Antonio Conte and every manager since. Or is it just kind of running out of steam after a crazy condensed schedule, Chelsea making it to two cup finals, therefore adding more matches than anyone except Manchester City? It's a really good point. And my actual answer is at the moment, I don't quite know. But it's a cause for concern because... We've now had Conte, as you say, Sari, Lampard, question the mentality of quite a lot of these players at different times in their sort of managerial careers. And it always seems to come back to when things start to turn against them, are they able to dig it out? Are they are there the leaders in there? Are there the people in there who can grab it by the scruff of the neck and not let things turn bad. I mean, I, I wrote a lot about how shocked Lampard was after the 17-game winning run of how shocked he was that, you know, one defeat at Everton seemed to undo a lot of good work very, very quickly. And Sari spoke about that mentality and contest. And I think it is a worry because there are three defeats in four now, albeit I would say in those three defeats, only the FA Cup final was a really bad performance. I know there were elements of bad performances in the others, but they should have beaten Arsenal. They should have beaten Villa. So it's three defeats before. The other thing that worries me in this is that they've stopped keeping clean sheets because, because of their goal-scoring problems. Clean sheets for Chelsea are so, so important. Whether it's, But it's impossible to judge at the moment in such a short space of time with the amount of games they're playing, whether, as you say, it's an accumulation of all the games and all the finals and all the pressure or whether it's this mentality thing rearing its head again. And we probably won't know that for a little while, probably even into next season, maybe when you start to hear this, whether any stories come out. You generally don't know these things at the time. You generally find out afterwards. But I do think it is a, a area of concern heading into Saturday night, yeah. You know, when you kind of bring up that point, I, I almost wonder, with the... <sighs> How margin proof this Chelsea side is, the way that I tend to think about it, is that this side is not yet good enough to be, it needs things to go its way. We need decisions to go our way. We need to catch the luck on the one team of earner chance being onside versus offside. And the moment the luck, you know, the, whereas Man City heading into this weekend uh, is seemingly a margin proof side, you know, 10 things can go wrong and they can still come away with a result. Is that how you feel about this Chelsea team? That they're just, they're maybe just missing some of those pieces to kind of be proof, you know? Uh, I, I think what you're saying is true. And I think it all just boils down to the fact that Chelsea are not clinical. You know, if you're a clinical team, you can get away with a few things going against you because when a chance comes, you will take it and you will, you'll bury your opponent. And it's, it's been the theme of the season, isn't it? Chelsea are not a clinical team. And therefore, it puts so much pressure on everything else to go right. The defence has to be perfect, which, you know, 18 clean sheets under Tuchel is unbelievably good. They have been largely perfect. But the minute, and you wouldn't say they've been bad in the last four games, the defence, but the minute 
They're not perfect. And Reese James is a great example of this. Two fantastic performances against Leicester, and yet he was probably at fault for both of their goals. The minute you're a 1% drop in that defence, when you're not clinical up front, becomes an issue. And I think that works when you talk about the decisions as well. I think that works with the decisions because, let's face it, if Timo Werner or anyone else, not just Timo, Kai Havertz, who hasn't, let's face it, he hasn't been prolific, and Christian Pulisic isn't prolific at the moment. He seems to be much better off the substitutes bench than when he starts. Um, when they either miss a chance or if a goal is disallowed because of a very minimal offside or something, if it's City, you know more chances will come and you know they will score them. With Chelsea, you know chances will come, but you don't know whether they'll score them. So it, it makes the the margin for error for Chelsea is tiny because they're not clinical and it makes it really pressurised situation for them. And sorry, guys, I'm probably not making you feel great ahead of Saturday of this and I'm not trying to be negative at all. Well, one thing um, I also want to kind of just dig into, you mentioned his name, but uh, Reese James uh, selected to the England squad for the Euros, which you'll uh, have to have the pleasure of supporting and then enjoying as a, as a fan. But the change to playing in the back three versus playing on the wing, how have you seen that? Do you see that as a preparation long term? Do you see that just tactically for a couple of the matchups the last few games? Or maybe this is now a element that Tuchel might be considering ahead of the final to play a little bit of mind trickery with uh, with Pep Guardiola to keep him on his toes. Yeah, I've, I've got two theories on this. Um, my one theory that is developing and developing, and it's a theory rather than knowledge, is that I wonder whether Tuchel will look at a right back this summer. Because since he's been at the club, he's played Hudson-Odoi as a right wing back. He's played... Reese is a right wing back and he's played Aspie as a right wing back. And I'm not sure I get the sense that as a wing back, he's convinced about any of them. Um, which makes me wonder whether he will look at that position in the summer. I think there are much bigger priorities, i.e. striker, i.e. potentially centre-back, i.e. defensive midfielder, which is pretty clear he now wants. So it's probably well down the list of his priorities. But I wonder whether he's got doubts over that that right wing back, right back role, because he's he's changed it around a lot. Um, he clearly really likes Rhys James as a footballer. Rhys James is very well suited in a lot of ways to that right, right side of a back three. If you compare him and Kyle Walker, for instance, they're quite similar in ways because Kyle Walker's very good at that position. And Kyle Walker is both quick, but is also quite physically imposing and, and Reese is physically imposing as well as being quick. So he's he's well suited to that position. The only thing I'd say with Reese is what it's exposed a little bit is, like I say, against Leicester, particularly that FA Cup game. And I know you're going to say it was handball or it could have been handball. Um, but that pass was a loose pass out of defence. And, and when you play in the middle, if you play as a right back or on a flank and you make that pass, you're not creating a chance for the opposition. When you play in the middle of the pitch and you make that pass, you are creating a chance for the opposition. And he's learning on the job a little bit there, Reese. And look, I, I think Reese is so talented and I, I think he's generally played incredibly well. But I do also think he's a little, little bit loose in possession, um, which he's got to tighten up a bit in time. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Definitely watching that as well. Um, it is something that I uh, whew, am, am, am interested in, worried at. Uh, you say new right back, right wing back, looking down the lone army list. Ah, Davide Zappacosta. Well, I guess he'll get a shot <laughs> oh, this summer. Um, he was actually being discussed in our Discord, so plug for them. <laughs> they, they cover everybody. All right, well, let's go ahead and look at the Champions League final. Um, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. There's there's definitely going to be players who are looking at this as last chance. You know, Aspie, Giroud, Thiago Silva for a chance to win this trophy. Um, I, I, I just going into this, I mean, it should be an easy thing to motivate. If anything, you can say some of the players have maybe not been taking risks or chances in the last few matches, even an FA cup final, because they refuse to not be healthy for this match. Um, I guess, what do you think the mentality is of the players in Tuchel right now? And I, we're really just hoping we get some of these injuries, shored up and and ready to go yeah look he won't have any problem motivating anybody no way you know this this is it this is one game biggest game i'll never forget an interview i heard with i think it was david seaman who said that um arson wenger when he first went into arsenal got got all his players to write down on a piece of paper and keep secret which was more important for them the premier league or the champions league and it turned out that basically all the english players at Arsenal at that time put the Premier League and all the foreign players put the Champions League. So there's a there'll all there'll be a fair proportion of the, the Chelsea players who would see winning the Champions League as a as a bigger achievement and a bigger thing in their lives than even winning the Premier League title. So motivation's not going to be an issue at all. As you say, it's the it's probably the last chance for a few. Um but again, that that's that's similar on Man City. You know, someone like Fernandinho is probably not going to get another chance. But if he stayed into the year, he might do. City could get to another final again. But so could Chelsea. I mean, you can make a case. You can make so many cases of why one team or the other might have a little advantage here or there, or why one team or the other might might deserve it more than the other. You'll hear arguments about that. But all that talk's largely pointless. I mean, it's it's a one-off game of very very fine margins and. To try and make a case of, well, they'll be a bit more motivated than them because of this or that. They will just both be really, really motivated, and it's a really exciting match. Yeah, we, we are. Uh, <clears throat> we're looking forward to it. We're on pins and needles, just like every other Chelsea supporter at the moment. And so, I think the the biggest questions now are about who starts on the day. And so, we've seen a couple of different midfield pairings. Uh, some have worked really well this season. Some have not worked really well this season. We've seen Kovacic back healthy. Um, and uh, he's been affectionately dubbed by one of our... Uh, f- one of the people who jumps on our show is uh, Cul-de-sac, because uh, that's how he <laughs> moves the ball around. Um, so... Who do you think the the two is that, you know, I mean, is it Golo Kante plus Jorginho? Do you want you me to that? name the team I would pick? Yes. Yeah. Matt's 11. This is my 11. This is not the 11 I think will start necessarily, but this is the team I would pick. I would, goalkeepers, obvious Mendy. My back three might surprise you a little bit. I would I would go Aspie, Christensen and Rüdiger. I wouldn't have Thiago Silva in actually. Um and then I, I would stick with Reese James at right wing back rather than the middle. And that's because, like I say, if he gives the ball away in one of those central areas trying to play out from, from the back of the back three against City, wow, could be could be real problems there. So I would personally have him back on 
right side of wing back, obviously Chilwell. Kante has to play. Look, Kante will play. I'm fully of the opinion that Kante brought himself off against Leicester because of the Champions League final. It's the last one of his set. He is not missing the Champions League final. Kante will play. Uh, I'd assume next to Jorginho. I mean, the thought of going in with Jorginho next to Kovacic would worry the life out of me if I was a Chelsea fan. It just can't happen. So Kante will play, and I'd have thought, next to Jorginho. And then I would always uh, obviously have, have Mason, uh, Mason Mount in one of those two positions. Now, what I would actually probably do, and this goes against a few pieces I've written about in the in the recent history, but Pulisic has been so poor when he started. He's been so disappointing for me. And he's been so good off the bench that I would probably have Timo on his sort of left-sided number 10 role rather than striker role and have Kai Havertz as the as the false striker. I mean, look, if it was me and it was really my opinion, I'd probably have Tammy, but that's just completely unrealistic. It's never going to happen. So I'm not going to put Tammy in because it's just never going to happen. So I would probably have Kai in there with, with Timo and Mount behind and, and Pulisic to bring on for the last 20, 25 minutes because Pulisic off the bench just looks a different animal to Pulisic when he starts at the moment. That would be my 11. I don't know what you think about that. I suppose I, I would class my two big surprises as leaving Thiago Silva out and, uh, and like I say, probably having Kai up there in this sort of false nine. Well, we did have a very impressive run of uh, results when Thiago Silva was out and Christensen was central in that position, showing that his resurgence. So that's maybe not, I think, as surprising a shout. And then I think the... I actually have been thinking and drawing up my 11 and trying to figure out on the, the pieces of paper, the note cards on my desk, like, you know, alternate 11s. Um, but I think the Havertz uh, centrally and, you know, with the five subs, because it's the Champions League, yeah. Tuchel has so much more flexibility and Pep is going to have flexibility to change the game, Brandon. And there's going to be a lot of tinkering that can occur if things aren't going right or we need to manufacture, a, you know, a result or a big change. Yeah, look, I think the... The lineup is there to be a back nine, a back 10. Just we're going to defend at all costs, you know, and it's like every 10 minutes that passes that we don't concede, I feel like we'll breed confidence in the Chelsea side and it'll worry the city side, right? Like that's how that's going to go. And so honestly, I don't think we're going to be asking a lot of these players to do a whole lot other than to occupy a 20 yard radius space on the pitch and then hope we can obviously hit something on a counter or get something going there. So I think from the lineup side, you know, I think back to 2012, we had probably more injuries, you know, suspensions then. And again, we defended for our lives and it worked, you know, until the very end. And then we obviously some crazy heroics from Juan Mata and Didier Drogba, then Petr Cech obviously in overtime with the pen stop. So, you know, Look, this is a match that transcends the players and their abilities, and they just you're in the zone, fixated on your absolute role, and that's it. And so, you, you sh- we should expect to see elevated performances from both Chelsea and Manchester City players in this match. I just hope they can keep their emotions sort of under control a little bit, because the one thing I I, I looked at it in the Villa game was Chelsea looked on edge, you know. There were some some strange challenges that went on from both teams in that game, but but Chelsea did look on edge all of that game. They looked even when they weren't losing it, um, and I, I I hope that was just the situation of the top four situation and not a wider stress going into the 
the fact that they've got all these finals because they will need to be calm and they will need to you know have have their heads on because if you lose your heads against City it's, it's curtain so that will be important and the, the reason I say Thiago's Thiago Silva's experience in a way would be absolutely crucial at the back for Chelsea but as good as he's been, I just think in recent weeks he started to look like he could get run a little bit. Ollie Watkins ran him for the the corner that conceded for the first Villa goal, and I, I just think that maybe Christensen, as long as he's fully fit, um, you're, you're probably not going to run Christensen quite as easily. So that that's the reason for me that Christensen in my team would just about get the nod, and I, I can't remember. I actually can't remember. Christensen putting a foot wrong under Tuchel. He's, yep, yep. I'm eating a lot of words on that. So I'm just going to quickly go to the ad break, Matt. But thank you for that. Uh, on the other side of the break, we're going to start talking about summer market and transfers. As uh, Matt talks about not getting any rest, this is a whole nother time <laughs> of the year. So thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right. Summer excitement here. We've got Striker Palooza. Harry Kane politely telling everybody in the world that he is leaving. Um, it looks like Erling Holland will be staying with Dortmund now that they've secured Champions League. And Inter Milan might be parting ways with Antonio Conte once they told him he has to sell 80 million worth of players, aka Lukaku, is really good chance to be on the trading block. What in the world do you see happening for Chelsea this summer? We look at the XG and what Chelsea maybe should have scored this season. And I think we're, you know, up there around, you know, we're, we're definitely underachieving, you could say. So I feel like with all the striker talk, that has to be squarely at the front of Chelsea's plans. Oh, crikey, yeah. And um, Lukaku at the moment is looking the most realistic. You know, if, if Conte leaves Inter, then I'm fairly sure Lukaku will leave Inter. Um, if Conte were to stay, he will, he will definitely stay because Conte will have had an assurance he will stay. And also I'm told that Lukaku is so in love with Conte that if, if he's at the club, he will stay. So it, it, that situation is very dependent on Conte's future. But as you say, the reports out of Italy seem to be suggesting that he's going to leave because of the financial problems at Inter. And if that is the case, then, then Lukaku is definitely the most realistic one for Chelsea, albeit not completely nailed on because there are other clubs who will be, there is a lot of clubs in for a striker this summer and there'll be a lot of clubs. There's only a couple of strikers around, you know, if Haaland does stay, then you've got Kane, Lukaku. If you can't get Mbappe either, there's going to be a lot of clubs fighting over maybe two strikers. And while Lukaku has this association to Chelsea, it will depend slightly on who else comes in for him. But yeah, Lukaku at the moment is looking the most realistic. Um, I'd like to remind everyone that Lukaku and Chelsea was first mentioned as a pure guess. <laughs> I was going to say that. And uh. nothing else. And that seemed to get the ball rolling for everybody. Um, but yeah, so that that is looking the most likely. Look, it was really funny last week that Tuchel came out and pretty much said I'd, I'd be interested in Harry Kane. And of course he'd be interested. And I think he was being a little bit mischievous in that he can say that because there's probably about less than 1% chance that Tottenham will ever do business with Chelsea on Harry Kane. So he kind of had a free hit at saying he was interested because it, it's not really going to become a realistic thing, I don't think. Albeit, Chelsea have to express an interest because you can't not do, you know, what if you didn't and then find out you could have signed the guy? It'd be the most stupid thing in the world. So 
you have to be professional about these things and and make sure you're in there on the off chance that that something weird happened. But I don't think anyone at, at Chelsea really expects them to sign Harry Kane. Um, and Dortmund, look, Dortmund were as good to their word last summer. Dortmund said this about Jaden Sancho last summer and nobody believed them. They kept saying, we're not going to sell him. Um, and everybody thought he would still go to Man United. And then they st- took to their word and didn't sell him this summer. It seems to be that Sancho can go and they're saying that Haaland won't go. And with them in the Champions League, I'd probably back them to to stay good to their word unless someone came up with a really, really silly offer. Mm-hmm. Um, the worry for Chelsea is if they don't get Lukaku, I really don't know who they're going to get after that. That that's It's a small pool. It's a small pool. And if you can't get a Lukaku and let's assume they can't get Kane and Haaland staying, then then it becomes really difficult. And then it almost becomes a question of, do you even think about other ways to solve the goal scoring? Do you think about keeping your powder dry for a year so that you're in position to get Haaland the following year? It becomes a very complicated decision-making process after that. So I think a lot's going to ride on that Lukaku one for Chelsea, actually, this summer. And I'm told, and this is by a very good Belgian source I have, that nothing will happen. And look, it's such a tight amount of time, probably stating the, the obvious, but nothing will happen on Lukaku until after the Euros. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I just saw something on Twitter from one Fernando Torres, Matt, who said uh, he's coming <laughs> back to this. play. Yeah. Announcement soon. I saw this earlier. Yeah, I think we'll just let that one slide by, Dan. Um, I, I guess maybe another question just from a striker standpoint. So Giroud looks likely to leave as well. Tammy looks likely to leave. Um, obviously, I mean, there's players in the academy, but I don't think you would bring Broja back from Vitesse to keep him, you know, like you need to get him to a position where he's going to get a chance to continue to grow his trade. Um, who fills that maybe more senior striker kind of position? Like, is there a you know individual that Chelsea might want to scout to bring in the, the backup type role who can come in for, you know, 20 minutes occasionally? Or do we think there's just enough attackers at Chelsea right now to go around and that person's not going to get any minutes? My my guess would be that they just want one big striker. They want one Lukaku, one Haaland, one Kane, one major number one big striker. And then down the list, it will be more fluid than it has been in the past. By fluid, I mean the fact that obviously Timo's a striker. Um, Kai can play this false nine. I don't think it's his best position, but he can play the false nine. Um, Pulisic can play a false nine. I, I don't see, and look, I don't know this, so please don't take this as gospel, but I don't see them signing a Giroud-type backup older striker. I don't, I, I don't really, I think they're moving, the squad is moving in a slightly di- different direction away from that. Um, and I think they just want the one main striker and then what they've got in their squad, they can make work around that and and looking at it I think that's probably sensible unless there was someone really obvious out there who you could sort of bring in either cheaper on a free transfer to, to fill in but again the, the wages issue you know you could even talk about the fact that United got Cavani in on that kind of deal but his wages are astronomical so to pay someone astronomical wages that kills your FFP to sit around being a third striker doesn't make a lot of sense and if they are going to get 
a world's top striker, they're going to have to make room on the wage bill. So that mm-hmm. you know, Giroud's hundred grand a week or whatever it is, and and that bit on Tammy and whatnot will will go into the wages of this hopefully this super striker that they'll hopefully sign if they can if they can nail one. Well, and here we are again, Chelsea with a big squad, some very high wages, players that I think if the club would could have would have moved them on. Are you getting any sense that this summer is going to be a little bit more open, obviously, than last summer? No, I think it could be even harder. I think sales-wise, it's going to be really, really difficult. Really difficult. Um, the fact that fans didn't come in for the whole season means that the, the budgets actually are, are worse than this time last year. A lot of clubs who would be looking to do the deals. And the European clubs are in a much worse financial situation, you know, the Italian clubs, the Spanish clubs, where Chelsea would be looking to send people like Kepper and Bakayoko and Batshuayi, probably. There's just not even the money for the wages for the loans. So it's going to be Marina's got her work cut out this summer. I mean, I think they will move. They, I think they will probably end up moving players, but they'll probably end up not bringing in an awful lot of cash on those players and having to pay wages. But they are guaranteed some money, and you know, Fikayo Tamori, and I know. Everyone's very upset that Fakai is going to leave, but it is going to be guaranteed cash coming in. Um, you'd imagine Tammy will get a move. Um, he might have to wait for the market a little bit. I think Tammy's move might be a little bit dependent on who moves where ahead of him. Um, I don't see him moving really quickly. I think it'll be later in the transfer window when some of the really big strikes have moved and we see where that frees up some space. Um, but I would expect Tammy to move. That will that will bring in some money and be interesting to see whether they sell Kurt Zuma or not or or, or so another squad player. But but the Bakayokos, the Barclays, the, the Zappacostas, like you said, the Batshuayis, I don't see where the money's coming in from from those kind of guys. One of the interesting ones, because you mentioned this earlier about Tuchel maybe expressing a little bit more of a need for a defensive midfielder, uh, and potentially Operation Rice being back on, uh, being restored. <laughs> I know we had talked about with Frank Lampard at the club, Declan Rice will be a Chelsea player at some point, and now it just seems Tuchel is taking maybe some notes and uh, saying, I'll, I'll do that. That sounds like a good idea. Um, look, I'm, I'm told reliably that Tuchel's really impressed with Declan Rice. Um, I don't think it's particularly sort of picking up Frank's baton. I think he's just independently been extremely impressed with Declan Rice and the more I hear about players that that Tuchel's looking at like Julian Regal, like Tuchimani, um, like Kamara, he obviously wants someone in there. He, he Ideally he would like someone in there. Now I don't think he's going to get everything he wants this summer because I just don't think Chelsea will be able to move the players to bring everyone they want in because to do so would be insanely expensive. Um, so whether they can or not, but he Rice is back on the top of the list of that defensive midfielder. And it's not because it's copying Lampard or just picking up where Lampard is because Tuchel genuinely is, is very, very impressed with Declan Rice. Um, extremely difficult deal to do and very dependent on lots of other things. But yeah, it is interesting because it was also the case that when Lampard went, the interest in Rice had, had sort of had gone with him for a while. Um, because it was very Lampard-driven. It wasn't club-driven, but now the latest head coach has, has made it his business. 
What I would say is whereby with Lampard, I was always convinced that Declan Rice would be a Chelsea player again. I don't think that's a certain with Tuchel because I think if Tuchel can't get a Rice but can get a defensive midfielder, he would probably go and get someone else if the Rice money just ends up too much, but they can go and get one of his other alternatives. So I don't think it's Rice or no one for Tuchel at all, but he, he he's very impressed with, with Declan Rice, that's for sure. Yeah, I just heading into the summer again thinking of I don't know, are, are, are swaps players going to be more of an option? Because it's just, I think clubs are going to have to get creative. I mean, people are going to have to find a way to do it. And like I said, I feel like we're almost going to be crippled if we can't make some of the improvements that we have. It'll be just kind of like, is Tuchel going to fall to love already? Or does he kind of understand that it's out of Chelsea's hands more again this year than than maybe like his time at, at, at uh, Dortmund or Paris? Yeah. I mean, Tuchel's been at pains to say that he's not falling out with anyone this summer, no matter what happens. And I actually believe him. He seems pretty relaxed. And I um, I don't think there'll be fallouts over the targets. But I don't know. Player swaps are always one of these things that from the outside look obvious, and but they never happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they happen so rarely. Um, and I know, for instance, that last summer, even though Chelsea didn't make a bid for Declan Rice in the end, they did discuss with West Ham whether they'd be interested in any players to, to work as a deal with Declan Rice. And they were told, no, we don't want players. If you want Declan Rice, you need to make a bid. We, we're not interested in talking about which players could come the other way. They they were very adamant that if Declan Rice was going to go last summer, it was going to be for the money that they put on him. Um, whether that's different this summer because of someone like maybe like Tammy, but the swaps happen really, really rarely. Um, even when they look like they're on the outside, they make a lot of sense. So I always think with the swap deals, you've probably got to caution yourself to the fact it probably won't happen because they seem too complicated. But every every so often one, one pops up. And as you say, clubs are going to have to be creative because whether it be through loans, whether it be through swap deals, whether it be through staggering payments or delaying payments or whatever, there's going to have to be. Otherwise, there's just going to be no movement. Yeah. Um, I heard Wesley might have some some bills coming due soon, and that's why they have to. But like Declan has to be like the last name on the list. I mean, it's like you would sell an entire eleven before Declan because you know if you have him in your team, you've got a fighting chance, and that just kind of shows how how impressive he's been. Um, anything else maybe that we've missed or aren't thinking of when it comes to summer transfers and. Well- the one you know, I signposted earlier is I, I do think they could look on the right side of defence. Um, not a top priority, but I think they could. And there's, there's the guy at Inter Milan, trying to think of his name off the top of my head, is it Hakimi, the right back at Inter yeah. Milan? Yeah. He, he played for Tuchel at Dortmund, I think. Again, I'm, I'm talking from memory yeah, here. Yeah, that sounds right. And... I'm, I'm told he's a big fan of his. And again, if Inter Milan have to sell players, that he might be one they look at, I think. This is my sort of um, left field shout for the summer on potentially looking at a right back. And, and if I was to guess on a right back at the moment, I'd be looking slightly in his direction because he's tried so many things at that right back. And the fact he's gone back to Aspie now, just signposts to me, he's not quite sure he's got what he wants there. And he's not quite sure whether he thinks that Reese 
can either play right wing back for a full season or right back for a full season. And Reese is going to get moved around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be my left field shout is, is to watch watch on the right side of defence and just keep a, keep an eye out on that because I can, I think that could develop. The defensive midfielder one though is becoming more and more of an issue. I get more and more the impression that that he thinks he needs one, particularly if he's going to end up going back to a back four in time. Um, and I think the last few weeks when Kante was injured will have only reinforced that because, like I say, Kovacic and Jorginho together sort of fill fill me with fear. Yeah, I, I don't think they've inspired uh, Same, us to Matt. feel Same. super confident. Uh, so I think maybe one other thing, you know, that also plays into what happens this summer is things like extensions. And so uh, it feels like Christensen has probably played himself into staying at Chelsea more long term. Rudiger's played himself into staying at Chelsea more long term. Um, is there anyone else from from that perspective? I mean, those are probably all postseason post Euros, even potentially type of deals that might get announced because all these players are going to be preoccupied. So I think maybe helping supporters, helping fans readjust their expectations, like don't look for a lot to happen until after the Euros would be the recommendation, right? Well, you've, you've only really got, yeah, because you've only got, I mean, if you look at England's schedule, for instance, so Chelsea play on um, Saturday, England's first warm up game when all the squad have got together is on the following Wednesday. So, you know, there's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. There's there's three days in between. Um, and that's the same for most of the countries. So, you know, there's just not the time to do these things. Rüdiger, I think, gave an interview somewhere yesterday saying that he'll he'll talk to Chelsea about his contract after the Euros. And that just, that just makes sense because I don't see how you... I don't really see how you do it before the Euros. Also, players and agents will be thinking, well... Let's wait and see how the Euros goes because we'll, we might have some different options after the Euros and we might have some different figures we can throw at people after the Euros. You know, you play well in the Euros and all of a sudden a £100,000 a week contract can become a £150,000 a week contract and you might have a club uh, willing to offer even more than that. So tournament years are always a tricky year for contracts and and transfers and things like that. I mean... Look, on the face of it, you would imagine that if they want to do Thiago Silva's contract quickly, they can because Thiago Silva doesn't have a, a, a tournament to go off and play in. Um, but yeah, Christensen's away with Denmark. Rudiger's away with Germany. Aspilicueta's in the Spain squad, which is yeah, you know, very fantastic cool. news for him and, and well-deserved. And he, So he's away. And someone like Aspi, they won't need to worry over anyway. They can leave that. I think they probably all know that as long as they put the pen under Aspie's nose, he'll be signing. So, um, I uh, yeah, I, I can't see a big flurry of business straight after the Champions League final. I think it will go quiet and then start to build towards the end of the tournament and then obviously once the tournament's over. Hey, we, and, we... And, and again, what happens with Lukaku if he's top scores in the Euros? You know, what happens if Lukaku bangs in 12 goals in the Euros and outscores everybody. Who's who's after him then? You know, it, it, there's a lot of variables this summer, a lot of variables. Yeah, and and again, another tight, condensed schedule to just to make everything, you know, <laughs> nice and easy to work through. Um, all right, well, Matt, just lastly, 
Dan wrote, how are you going to be enjoying the final? But as a professional journalist, maybe we could say, how will you be covering it? No, look, I will enjoy it. It'll be really busy. Um, it'll be a very busy night for me. Um, but I will still enjoy it. Um, I mean, I'm not as fortunate as you guys. We, we Because of COVID rules, we don't get the, the normal amount of passes I would normally be going, but we don't get the normal amount of passes. So I, you know, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm covering it from my TV at home and, and through Zoom links to the press conferences where I'll, I'll talk to Thomas after the game. But even if I was in the stadium, I would have to talk to Thomas and after the game on Zoom. So it doesn't make an awful lot of difference, to be quite honest with you. So do you sit in like the press gallery and then zoom in to where he's yeah, this, like 100 is, feet away? Yeah, this is what happens at games at the moment. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're at the game and you still do the press conference on Zoom, even though you can sometimes even see them um, sort of Down 200 yards from you. But yeah, but you have to do that because you just can't get that close to them. So yeah, in terms of my work, work it won't change a lot. But yeah, it'll be a busy night, but I'll really enjoy it. Um, I... I uh, yeah, it it will be good, and I I I just couldn't I, honestly, and I'm not just saying this. I just couldn't call it. Yeah, and I, I honestly I think we take that. We'd much <laughs> rather have that than you know city minus two hundred or something like that on the betting odds, right, Dan? I'm getting there, huh? Yeah, you're, you're trying. You're you're, you're, right. you're making some headway. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, well, thanks again, Matt. I mean, next time we talk to you, we'll be two times Champions League final winners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so for you guys. Have a great time. Enjoy it. Uh, thank you so much. Everyone, as always, go follow Matt. Check out his newsletter. Uh, all of his stuff can be found at The Telegraph. Um, yeah. Uh, you are then From here on out, you're just going to get content from us on social media. Um, and, and you know, put out, I think we're going to do a pre, pre-pod pre and a post-pod as well over there. So make sure to follow us. Uh, get in our Discord community through Patreon. That's where all of, a lot of the content is going to be going as well as, as our normal Twitter and Instagram. But uh, it's going to be a blur. We're so excited. Matt's giving us travel tips on how not to stick out. So it should be a good one. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Right. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>